Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. You are listening to the Northside Sox podcast, a subsidiary of the Southside Sox uh, media enterprise, which is a subsidiary of the SB Nation uh, media enterprise, and it goes on and on and on and on. But uh, anyway, uh, we are coming to you with a very special episode today. Uh, we are on the precipices of spring training. And so along with spring training uh, comes with uh, some of the initial news items. Uh, and we're talking White Sox. Uh, we're also talking White Sox prospects. And what better to talk prospects than uh, none other than Jim Callis, who is the MLB draft and prospect expert and the executive editor of Baseball America here on the show uh, to talk to us about uh, some White Sox prospects. So, Jim, how the heck are you this morning? I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. Um, it's uh, hard to imagine. Uh, I assume you guys are kind of up here in the Chicago area, too. As I look at all the snow, imagining that uh, spring training is uh, starting. Uh, but I, I guess it's a lot warmer in Florida and Arizona, obviously. I was just running around out back with my uh, with my dogs in the snow, and it's hard to imagine baseball getting played anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I saw that you are a Chicago guy. Uh, we are Chicago people as well, uh, so we are most certainly kind of immersed in uh, large amounts of snow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was actually, uh, I, I found some misinformation. Uh, Jim left Baseball America in 2013. He is exclusively at MLB.com, it seems. So sorry about that, Jim. No problem. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's a Wikipedia page that somebody else put up for me that has not been updated. So yeah, that's exactly what I looked at. (laughs) There you go. So that is, uh, yeah, I'm a bad librarian on that part. I definitely should have checked that source uh, before before I added it onto uh, my little fact sheet, which uh, consists of like literally two sentences. Uh, But yes, uh, moral of the story, always check your sources. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, we are uh, kind of uh, looking at the White Sox lineup, uh, kind of the uh, expected lineup. Uh, we, we definitely have a couple of uh, White Sox prospects that will most certainly kind of be pushed to the forefront. Uh, so uh, yeah, in that regards, uh, to start off uh, right now, uh, Andrew Vaughn is going to be the pr- projected opening day DH. Uh, A lot of the discourse on White Sox Twitter uh, has brought up some concern that he hardly has any experience in the minors, that I I believe he hasn't even played uh, anything above uh, like high A ball. 
So uh, in this regard, I do think he, he would be able to jump in and offer, say, a high level of run production, production that the DH position kind of requires. So everyone seems to kind of jump right in, sort of like what Garrett Crochet did. Uh, so I just wanted to know what your thoughts on that were. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the White Sox are in a different position, obviously, than they have been in, in years where, you know, it's kind of, you know, I don't know if it's quite World Series or bust, but it's, I mean, they have high aspirations and they're trying to win. Um, and, and so to me, I, I think you put your best team on the field. And, and if Andrew Vaughn shows that he can hit, I wouldn't be too concerned. I mean, remember, this, this guy's one of the best hitters to come out of the draft, come out of college baseball in the last 10 you know, or, or 15 years or so. So he, he's highly advanced. I, I think in a normal year, you probably would have seen him in Chicago toward the end of last year. And while you're going to the alternate site, going in, you know, instructionally doing those types of things, isn't the same as, you know, playing 140 games and, and playing against more advanced pitching. Um, uh, you know, I, I, this is a guy who I, I think theoretically could have contended if they'd wanted him to for a job on last year's club. So I, I think you just, you know, you can't read, you know, spring training. I mean, it's not a, a perfect, you know, stats don't mean everything and performance doesn't mean everything, but I think if he performs well in spring training, you give it to him. Like, like I said, I mean, this guy's going to hit, um, you know, if he, if your best lineup has him in DH, then, then I'd play him. So I, I'm not too concerned about him making the jump from high A because I think he's, he's much more advanced than your typical hitter out of the draft and your typical hitter with only 55 games of minor league experience. I mean, he, he has a good approach. He doesn't try to do too much at the plate. He's got a lot of natural power. He's got a really good batting eye. You know, this isn't a, a guy who, you know, swings for the fences and you're wondering if he's going to make enough contact, you know, I, I, to me, if, if, you know, assuming he, let's say he gets, you know, 450 at bats or whatever this year with the White Sox. I mean, I, I think you could pencil him in for 270 and 20 homers on, on the low end. I, I think he's going to be fine. I, yeah. I have a, a quick thought off of that. Just be, and there's probably a simple answer to this and it might be a dumb question, but the last time that I guess, um, When I hear about sort of Andrew Vaughn's resume leading up to his professional career, um, I sort of, and again, I'm sure there's a simple answer to this, but I do think back to a a former or a current, you know, Sox player um, who had a similar, I guess, college uh, resume as far as kind of that advanced uh, eye at the plate, that skill set at the plate, the hit tool. And that was uh, Zach Collins, who's probably projected Uh. to be a backup catcher. Again, again, I kind of hear that there. So I'm sure that I'm missing quite a bit there, but what would be the main differences between looking at those guys as having similar backgrounds? Yeah, I'm not, I've never been a Zach Collins fan. Like I, like, I mean, I I think he's got some big league use, but I never saw Zach Collins. Like, we're not talking about position. I never thought Zach Collins was going to be a big league catcher. Um, and Zach Collins hits for power and he draws walks and he also strikes out a ton and doesn't hit for average. So I, I don't, I don't think they're really analogous. And even when Zach Collins was drafted because it was going to take time to develop him as a catcher as well. But, but even as a hitter, you weren't talking about Zach Collins realistically being in the White Sox lineup a year after he was drafted. He just, Andrew Vaughn, like their, their raw power might be similar, but in terms of hitting ability, like one guy's a, a well above average hitter and one guy's a below average hitter. So, um, Zach just isn't as polished a hitter as, uh, as Andrew Vaughn is. I mean, you know, Vaughn, it was kind of, uh, you know, good year to be picking three. Um, and there were obviously two very talented players that went ahead of him and Natalie Rutschman and Bobby Witt, who you could argue, that Rutschman has the best tools of any catcher in the draft in recent memory. And Witt has the best tools of any shortstop since a rod. So like, it, like most of the time you're a guy like Andrew Vaughn, like I, I like the, the guy, the Tigers took the lat in 2020 Spencer Torkelson. I like a little bit more than Andrew Vaughn. Cause I think he's got a little bit more power, a little bit more athleticism, but in most years, Andrew Vaughn would have been a contender to go number one overall. It's just, that was an especially deep draft at the top. And, and he kind of fell into their lap at number three. And maybe this is a conversation for another day, but uh, yeah, who is more deserving of a postseason at bat, Zach Collins or Andrew Vaughn? I think I'm leaning Andrew Vaughn, even though I, I haven't seen enough of Andrew Vaughn yet. But uh, yeah, after what I saw on um, the the wild card series last year, I think I'm willing to make that chance. Yeah. I, I just think Andrew Vaughn's a much more advanced hitter. Now, granted, mm-hmm. at that point, he hadn't had any major league experience, but and not like I, I wind up doing this every time I talk about the White Sox and Zach Collins comes up. I, I feel like I pile on Zach Collins, but like to me, uh, Zach not Collins, just you. It's not it, just you. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> Zach Collins is like a, a, a big swing and miss guy. Like he'll, he'll hit some home runs. He'll draw some walks. He's never going to hit for average. And I, and I just don't think he's a guy you want catching, you know, anywhere close to regularly. I just don't think he's a good receiver. Um, you know, he's got some use as that kind of, you know, power hitting backup, you know, first base DH catcher, you know, hits left-handed, all that's nice. But like he, like I said, I, I just don't think he's in Andrew Vaughn's class as a, as a hitter. Cool. Well, thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about Garrett Crochet, or at least I did. Uh, so I was listening to uh, the uh, Sox Machine podcast yesterday where uh, Keith Law was talking about uh, some of his concerns uh, with Crochet. Um, he said that uh, Garrett Crochet might have a ceiling that he is reaching very quickly, uh, that he was kind of concerned with uh, some command uh, issues. Uh, so do you also kind of see those same issues with crochet? And do you, do you think he's like fully reached a ceiling? I, I don't. I'll, I'll respectfully disagree with Keith there. I, I mean, not picking on Keith, but like, I don't know how, like based on six innings in, in the big leagues, you could reach that conclusion. And he, and he pitched once in, in the spring last year because he had a mild shoulder issue and they were being ultra cautious with him. Um, I do think there's starter in him. I think his stuff went to a new level last year. We didn't really see it in the big leagues, but I know in the fall when he was at Tennessee, I had scouts tell me they thought he had a well above average changeup. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be a well above changeup every time he throws it, but he definitely has three pitches. Um, you know, he's got, you know, long arms and legs and a lot to kind of keep in sync there, but um, he's athletic. Um, I think he does a good job of that. He has thrown strikes um, in college. You know, I mean, he's not, you know, pinpoint control, but like he never had, had, you know, strike throwing issues in college. He was about a walk every three innings. Um, so no, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think the, I wouldn't even call it a concern. I think what you're waiting for Garrett Crochet to prove if he's going to be a starter is, you know, his stuff took a huge leap last fall. And because of the way 2020 unfolded, he really didn't pitch that much. You know, like I said, he had, he had mild shoulder soreness in Tennessee, shut him down. I think just to really honestly make sure he was hundred percent for the, the SEC season, which never happened. Like the, the shutdown came right when SEC play is going to start to play. So he, he literally pitched once in the spring and then he pitched six innings and, you know, and, and it, you know, his playoff appearance. So the, there's, <laughs> there's no track record. If even like a month of Garrett, uh, of Garrett Crochet, you're making say six starts in a month and, you know, every fifth day and showing that he's got, you know, the hundred mile an hour fastball and the wipeout slider and, and, and flashing this really good changeup. So like, if he's going to be a starter, you'd want to see that. But like I said, I, I don't think there's anything like glaring in his delivery. He's athletic enough. I, I think he can do it. You know, I, I think he seems to be on the same path and I'm not saying he's gonna be Chris sale, the, but the Chris sale was where got to the big leagues real quick same year he was drafted, they're going to make him a full-time reliever in his first full year in pro ball. And then I, I, I bet you they try to like, like they did with sale, make him a starter going forward. But I, I, I don't think he's got anywhere close to a proven track record of this high octane stuff as a starter over a long period of time, just because of the way 2020 unfolded. But I, I don't see anything in there that says, Oh, like he, he can't be more than this reliever. Like I, I, I don't see that at all. And, and, you know, like he, I mean, he needs to refine his command, but I think you'd say that about anybody coming right out of the draft for the most part. Like he throws, he throws plenty of strikes. He needs to locate his pitches a little bit better. But again, I mean, he, he literally just came out of the draft. So I, I, I'm, I'm very bullish on Garrett Crochet. I think we are too. Uh, we got a chance to see Garrett Crochet pitch in person a few times uh, last year. And I, I can tell you, yeah, uh, just his stuff is absolutely electric and even from the 300 level press box you could definitely hear just the slap of the pitch hitting the catcher's mitt like it's absolutely in like, I, I love watching him pitch you know uh jim i had a question kind of going off of that and you brought up how he was really literally just drafted just coming out of the draft and, and then making his debut shortly after um in a more kind of general sense do you find uh that the way that I guess probably this happens much more with fans than it does with people like you who actually evaluate these players and, and look over a lot more of that information and see a lot more of these players as they develop. Um, do you think that there's sort of unfair expectations where we stand now um, when it comes to, you know, it used to be where players would come out and there'd be a few years to develop, right? If, if they would even develop at all into becoming major league talents, where now because we've seen players, you know, make their debuts, 
including the White Sox having several of these players over the last few years, um, shortly after being drafted. Uh, do you think that those, that expectations have gotten a little bit out of control as far as what, what we expect from these guys coming right out of school? Um, I think yes and no <laughs> to answer your question. I think, I think guys are getting to the majors more quickly in general. I mean, you don't usually see a guy do what Crochet did. Um, and I think in part that's because I think, I mean, I've been doing this stuff for 30 years and, and I think pro teams would tell you that college baseball, the, the caliber of coaching, uh, you know, there's so many more good programs than there were 30 years ago and guys are getting more instruction and there's, you know, a lot of summer leagues and there's a lot of on the high school level, there's all these showcases and guys are, you, you can argue about the, the showcase mentality and there's, there's some aspects that aren't necessarily great, but at the same time, if you're a high school kid, like we'll take Ed Howard, our local guy last year, the Cubs took in the first round, you know, as opposed to in the past where, okay, maybe Ed would have made team USA or something and gotten some experience that way. But you know, you're, you're playing locally 30 years ago or whatever you go around these showcases and face the best pitchers in the country and see much better competition. Um, and, and so I think guys are better prepared in some ways they, they faced more and better competition. Um, that said, I do think that, fans do get unrealistic expectations that everybody's going to move super fast. And, you know, I mean, like with the White Sox, I mean, Crochet was the first guy since Mike Leake to go to the big leagues without, you know, being in the minors, you know, that doesn't happen very often. And Nick Madrigal barely, you know, played in the minors and Andrew Vaughn's going to barely play in the minors before they went up. And, and so I think, uh, you know, it's easy to like, kind of think okay like who are the White Sox take this year you know pick 22 or wherever they pick that guy's gonna get here real quick or I mean even you look at Luis Robert took a little time like you know he, he had some injuries and and he was maybe even a little slower than that might have been expected but um yeah I mean I I do think I know every year out of the draft we'll get asked like okay you know how, how quick is this guy you know, who's gonna be in the big leagues next year and like it's really rare for anybody to go from the draft to the big leagues in one year's time you know and even and even with crochet you know, in 2020, I mean, that was such an unusual circumstance. You had, you had a situation with the pandemic where he literally pitched three and a third innings in college. So it wasn't like a normal season where he would have pitched, you know, let's say they go into the NCAA playoffs, maybe he pitches a hundred innings. Mm -hmm. And then traditionally what you do with those guys is say, Hey, throw a couple times, two inning stints, and it will shut you down and bring you back next year. Well, that didn't happen. Then you also had the pandemic. It wasn't a normal year. Um, you were limited to who you could develop. The White Sox are contending. He's got this unbelievable left arm. It's a pitcher. You can put him in, you know, one inning stints. It was kind of a perfect storm. But yeah, it's some, um, I, I do think guys get there quicker. And I do think fans sometimes think they should get there more quickly than is realistic. Sure. Uh, and I, but like Janice said, and I think we all can agree that it's, uh, seeing him, whether it's on TV or in person or whatever, was a pretty remarkable thing. I, I think, uh, to kind of see, to kind of see a, a guy out there that, that just sort of comes right in and just, I mean, and, and that's the funny thing with talking a little bit about control where he was coming in, he was, he was throwing hard. He was throwing relative. I mean, he was mostly in the zone or, you know, anything that was believable in the zone guys had no shot on. It's exciting to see that kind of talent like that soon. Because then you think, well, we'll see where this kind of can even go from there. So, um, yeah, there was and especially a, yeah. too, I was going to say, same with, with the lefty, like lefty who throws that hard and is that young. Usually they don't have good control. So, like, a guy might throw 100, but it's all over the place. And, mm -hmm. but like, he, again, I mean, it's a small sample size. So, I'm not claiming that six innings proves anything, but he didn't walk a guy in the big leagues. You know, he, he came in and, and, I mean, granted, I think it's easy to go after guys when you're throwing 100 with a upper 80s slider. Like, it makes it uh, kind of easy. You can do those, sure. those, those sorts of things. But, um, you know, he, you know, and his control didn't waver at all. I mean, so, um, you know, that was impressive too. That he was able to harm. I mean, and, I mean, I know the playoff outing was short lived, but he faced two guys and struck both those guys out too. So, um, you know, I, I really do think we're on kind of a, a Chris sale, the beginning of Chris sales career that that's what they're going to, you know, you, you have a lot of the same people are still with the white Sox who were there when sale was breaking in. And, and I think that they're, they're going down that road with Garrett Crochet, you know, it, it'll be interesting, you know, if, if he's really dominant, you know, if it's going to be hard to, to move him out of the pen going forward. Yeah. And with uh, Jay Spry uh, going into spring training uh, injured, uh, then yeah, he definitely has an opportunity uh, to kind of uh, prove himself uh, in that relief role. So that'll be interesting to see, to say the least. <laughs> um. Another guy I wanted to ask about is uh, is Gavin Sheets, um, who normally I probably wouldn't be bringing up based on kind of how he's 
performed in the Sox system or being a particularly intriguing prospect, um, at least over the last couple of years. But uh, there was a, a, a news story or, or a report that came out, I think a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, that, that he had been, uh, he kind of moved to the outfield, which upon first hearing that uh, seemed improbable. But um, do you think that that's something that, you know, does he realistically maybe have, maybe realistically isn't the right way to say it, but do you think there's a shot that, that he can kind of reinvent himself out there? Um, maybe more as a fill-in guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, and I'd heard the story too. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the short version of the story is, you know, he was kind of disappointed. He wasn't involved, invited to the alternate site and he spent the summer, you know, he's a big guy, six five, two forty five is what he's been listed at. I don't know if they've, they've updated what he's, what he's listed at now, but he spent the summer, you know, getting in, you know, the best shape of his life. And, and I, I mean, and I believe that, although, I mean, this is spring training. This is the time of year when we hear that several guys are in the best shape of their life. Um, yeah, he was a well below average runner before. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've heard he's he's you know moving a little bit better, but like it's not like he's an average runner. I think the you know he does have a better arm than most first basemen, but I think you'd be talking about an outfielder with limited range. I I look at this as a a move to enhance his versatility because if you're a first baseman only on a team that's got Jose Abreu and Andrew Vaughn. Um, probably not going to play a whole lot going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think this kind of, you know, enhances like, you know, going forward, you know, maybe he's that left-handed bat off the bench who DHs a little bit, can play some first. Maybe you could put him in the outfield. I mean, getting a better shape is going to help anybody. And it wasn't like, like he was in bad shape. He's just a, a, a real big physical excuse me, guy whose speed was not a big part of his game and it's still not going to be. So I think it's, it's encouraging, um, but like I, I still, when you look at the, the the White Sox roster and how young a lot of their guys are, it, it's hard to see a clear path for Larry Sheets to be an everyday player in the White Sox. I I, I think um, you know he did hit for more power than he's ever hit as a pro in the second half of 2019. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a, a first base only guy who's got 26 homers and 301 minor league games. Um, and, he, you know, unfortunately for him, he didn't get a chance to show what he could do last year in AAA. So, I mean, I, I think he'll play in the big leagues. I just don't think on this team, like with, with all the young players they have, um, that it, there's a clear path to him, you know, getting regular at bats in the near future. Okay, cool. So um, was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Sarah. sorry. No, continue. <laughs> so earlier, yeah, we spoke a little bit about uh, Garrett Crochet, uh, one a hard thrower. Uh, so another hard thrower that kept on popping back in uh, my mind was, of course, uh, Michael Kopech. So uh, what are your uh, projections, thoughts on Kopech uh, going forward? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a little uncertainty. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, nobody holds against him the fact that he that he elected not to play in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we haven't really seen him. We, I guess we saw him for one inning last spring, is that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think his first four pitches were over 100 miles an hour. And before yeah. that, yeah. the last time we saw him was August 2018 um, when he got up to the big leagues. And I, I think he blew out his, his elbow like in early September. And, and he really hadn't pitched since then until that one inning last year. I mean. <laughs> I'm basing this off of what we saw last spring. I mean, but based on that one inning, it looked like his stuff's come back. Um, I think all of White Sox Twitter might have imploded uh, as soon as all those four pitches were thrown. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> everyone went wild. Uh, it, it was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, we don't know, but every indication is that his stuff came back fine. Again, this is based on. <laughs> one inning, but right. I mean, I, I think that the, what, what, what I'm looking forward to seeing, look, we know he's got pure stuff and it's assuming that comes back and it usually does after Tommy John surgery, if you work hard and like, there's been no indication that his rehab wasn't going well, or he wasn't, you know, like, like really dedicating himself to it. I mean, the, 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 the factor that's probably gonna determine how good he is and what role he has long-term is his ability to control and command his stuff. And what doesn't have a huge track record of doing that he was really good right before he got to the big leagues. I think he walked four guys in his final seven AAA starts, which for Kopech was unheard of. Um, and even in the big leagues, even though he wasn't blowing guys away, he only walked two guys in 14 innings. So again, small sample size, but he was making really encouraging progress with, with the control of command. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you could see him, well, let's say he can't harness his stuff. 
Like then he, maybe he winds up in the bullpen, but I mean, it's definitely closer upside. And, and if he can harness his stuff, like, like, I mean, he doesn't have to average a walk, a start, but like if he can throw, you know, lot strikes like he was right before he got hurt with that stuff, you know, then you're looking at a guy who could pitch at the front of the rotation. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, and, and, and this makes sense. It sounds like the plan is to, you know, probably he ease him into the big leagues in the bullpen. Um, and, and then go from there. So I like, it wouldn't surprise, like almost nothing with him would surprise me to be honest. Like if you told me he wound up in their bullpen this year, like the whole year, fine. If you told me that, you know, if he's throwing strikes and they have a need in the rotation that he wound up in the rotation, it was a key factor there. He could, I mean, I also think, I mean, given that the guy really hadn't pitched in two years, he's coming off Tommy John, that it's going to take him some time to, to get sharp again. And, 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 you know, maybe, you know, this is more of a kind of developmental year at the big leagues where he's not necessarily in a high leverage role. I could see that too, but um, you know, like everybody else, I mean, <laughs> I, I want to see more than the one inning we saw last year. Cause I mean, th- this guy's fun to watch. I mean, we all know he can throw hard and the slider's ridiculous and uh, you know, just want to see him healthy and see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, as, as White Sox fans, uh, everyone is kind of rooting for him to kind of bounce back and jump back, uh, right in. But uh, as of right now, I believe the projection is that uh, he'll probably start in the bullpen uh, first half of the season and then maybe uh, sneak into the uh, fourth or fifth spot. Um, so if, uh, you know, knock on wood, if an uh, injury befalls uh, whoever is in the fourth and fifth spot, uh, then uh, yeah, Kopech has the opportunity to kind of jump in there and perhaps even, yeah, pitch in the postseason too, which I, I feel as if uh, a lot of us uh, would really love to see not only a postseason, but also see Michael Kopech pitch in a postseason. <laughs> well, I think the other thing to remember too, like also, like there's, you know, we're going from 60 games to 162 mm-hmm. and that's a lot more innings. I think you're going to see teams get creative. Like, I don't think you're going to see Giolito and Keiko and Lynn throw 200 innings this year. Um, like, you know, they're older, so maybe they can handle it, but nobody knows. Like, I don't think you're going to see guys ramped up. I don't think you're going to see Dylan Cease who's only 25 all of a sudden pile 180 innings on him. So you may see teams use six starters. You may see them, Maybe if they have younger guys at the back of the rotation, use tandem starting. Um, so I, I think the opportunity is definitely going to be there for him to get innings uh, this year, you know, if he's up to it. And, you know, I'm excited, you know, like you guys said, just to see what it looks like. Uh, you mentioned uh, briefly Lance Lynn's name in there. Um, and I, I have to ask on the other side of that, having, you know, the Sox trading away Dane Dunning to acquire him. Um, I guess the way I want to word this question is how much um, – I'll, let me ask this question just just on the face value of it. Let's just say Lynn is, is only here for this season for the Sox um, and maybe less about him. But how much are the Sox fans going to miss uh, Dane Dunning in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a trade. I, I, you know, I could understand what both sides were trying to do there. Um, you know, with Lance Lynn you know, you're getting certainty there. You know, the guy was one of the, you know, probably half dozen best pitchers in the American league in each of the last two seasons. And, and I've always liked Dane Dunning, you know, and he made, I think, what was it seven appearances last year or whatever. And I, I just think for a team that again is looking to go deep into the playoffs and, and you know, a legitimate world series contender, you know, and, and I think the biggest question mark we all have about the team is probably the rotation, you know, behind you. I, I know Keiko was good last year, but mm-hmm. like, you know, what, what is he going to give you over 162 games? I, I don't know. He's, he's not going to be that, you know, as good as he was in 60 last year. There's a lot of uncertainty in that rotation. And I think they just wanted to shore that up and have more of a sure thing. You know, like I said, I mean, it, it's a little curious because, you know, the Rangers get six years of control of Dunning. I believe because Lynn has been a qualifying offer free agent in the past. I don't even think the White Sox can get a draft pick for him next year. If he leaves as a free agent, I, I might be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, but no, I, I just think that was a, Hey, look, we're all in and, and we're going for it. And, and I don't like Dean Dunning, um, but he's not a sure thing. Um, you know, again, how many innings are you going to get out Dean Dunning? Dean Dunning hadn't pitched much in the previous two years. And, you know, uh, you know, is 122 minute too many innings to ask of Dane Dunning this year? Is 150 too much to ask? So maybe that factored into it. And and I, I think ultimately, you know, Avery Weems, who, who the Rangers also got, is a interesting prospect, not a top top prospect, but like potential, you know, big leaguer. You know, he's got a lot of development to do. But um, I, I think ultimately, how White Sox fans will probably view that trade, 
will be based on, 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 I mean, honestly, how the White Sox do this year. Like if they make a deep playoff run and Lance Lynn's part of that, then, you know, I think, you know, they'll, they'll get over it. And if let's say the White Sox, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say the White Sox, you know, underachieve and Lance Lynn gets rocked and they don't make the playoffs and then he's gone. Fans will be upset. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not quite the same level of prospect, but I, I remember when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, and after that, I was in the Arizona Fall League, and I bumped into Jed Hoyer. It was his first day down there, and they were actually at a, at a, at a Fall League game to watch Ian Happ. And we talked about the World Series for a while and congratulated him. Obviously, huge accomplishment. It had been forever since they'd won. And after we we're done talking about that for a while, he's like, so, hey, who, um, who's the best player in the Fall League? Who, who's, really st- is anybody, who's standing out to you? And, and I chuckled and I said, well, it's like not even close. The best guy down here is Glaber Torres, who was hitting like 420, might have been 19 years old at the time. And I think if you're a Cubs fan, like, yeah, you'd love to have Glaber Torres on the Cubs and you traded him for three months and, and the playoffs of Aroldis Chapman. <laughs> but Aroldis Chapman helped your team win the World Series. Mm-hmm. So you're fine with it. I'm not saying it's World Series championship or, or else it's a bad trade, but, but I do think how Lynn and the White Sox performed this year will will make that trade either more or less palatable in the long term. Yeah, perception is definitely everything. Uh, as someone who was pretty high on Dunning uh, for a little while, uh, I, I really, I genuinely liked this trick. It definitely showed that the White Sox were, uh, were had the intention to, to win this year. Uh, so I think that was uh, the general temperature of how uh, White Sox fans felt about that trade. But yeah, I definitely agree that I think uh, what happens this year will uh, kind of uh, be the finding, uh, deciding factor on uh, whether that trade was a, a, a good move. Um, I, you know, it's funny. We, Janice and I joke on the podcast a, a whole bunch about the idea of prospect hugging when it comes to uh, not wanting to, you know, make these kinds of trades or, or any kind of trades or whatever. But do you find, is it, is it, I'm guessing that it's not just White Sox fans, but it seems like where Janice and I are a little bit more um, okay with trading uh, trading prospects for proven players to, you know, to win now or to win in this window. Um, it, do you find Jim that, that it's, it's all fan bases that don't want to trade anyone to, to you know, to uh, that, you know, anyone from the system? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Cause I, I, cause what it is, is I think, I mean, I always joke that, that, that prospects are like kids and you love your own more than other people do or more than somebody else's. And I definitely think teams like look at prospects that way. Like they always kind of, they know their guys the best because they've been around the most and they hope for the best and see past to where the guys are, you know, c- could reach their ultimate potential. And the outside scouts might be a little bit more, less optimistic. But I think it's the same way with fans. Like, like the thing you got to remember I mean, I like prospects as much as the next guy, but, but, but they aren't can't miss. Like, you know, like I, I like Dane Dunning, but like Dane Dunning isn't a lock to be take the ball every fifth day and perform well, like, like this year. I mean, he's never done it over a full major league season or, or, or going forward. I mean, there's a, whatever percentage, like I actually think he's a bad example. He, he comes with a high floor. Like he, he's got a decent ceiling, but I think he's a high floor. So I think there's less risk with him than say with Jonathan Stever, who the, who the White Sox still have. And Jonathan Stever probably has higher quality of stuff if you're grading it out. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, there's a world where Dane Dunning doesn't figure things out or, or you know, pitchers get hurt too. Like he's, he's not a, a sure thing. And I think everybody, I think when prospects get traded or they're bandied about in trades, everybody looks at, at like the best case scenario and, you know, which is okay. Dane Dunning's going to be a 15 game winner for years to come. And he might, but he also might not make it. And, you know, and so there's risk when you're giving up a, a known quantity in Lance Lynn for a guy like that. But yeah, I do think, I think every fan base, unless you're, unless you're making one of those trades where like you're a Mets fan and you get Francisco Lindor, then you're like, okay, or you're Dodgers fan. Yeah. Go ahead and give up Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo for Mookie Betts. I think unless it's like one of those like superstar, you know, Nolan, like Nolan era trade was a bad trade, not made for, for talent reasons, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you're fine with that. But other than that, if you're doing, you know, more like it's an, like an equitable trade, the fans always feel like the prospects are, are too good to be given up in the deal. We're going to pause right here for a brief word from our sponsor. It could be Roman, could be hemorrhoid cream. Uh, it's a luck of the draw. Hopefully you guys get something good. 
we'll see you in a little bit. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. All right. Awesome. If you haven't turned us off to go buy some hemorrhoid cream, uh, we are here with Jim Callis, uh, MLB.com draft and prospect expert, uh, kind of giving us some insight on his thoughts on uh, White Sox prospects. Uh, We're as of right now, talking more so about the present time, uh, but what we're going to jump back in time just for a brief moment. Uh, so, Jim, in your opinion, uh, who is the biggest all, uh, all-time Sox miss as far as uh, expectations? Hmm. Yeah, think about this for a second. I got to call up a list of uh, White Sox. Probably like, like the first guy that jumps to mind, and, and he's from years ago, and there's there's probably something where it was Scott Ruffcorn. Like Ooh. Scott Ruffcorn was one of those guys who performed all his way up through the minors, Looked like he was going to be a star. Um, <laughs> that was a while ago. That was that that was in the '90s. So, I mean, he's he's one. I mean, well, I'll, I'll give you one from recent years. And and I thought this guy was going to be really good, and I and I liked him a lot. Um, I, I really thought Carson Fulmer was going to be good. And, I had a you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and and I and I thought what I liked about him too was, like, you know, there there was concerns. Like he had an up tempo delivery. You know, was he going to be able to make it as a starter? I mean, he was really good at Vanderbilt. And I know the SEC is not the big leagues, but he was really, really good at Vanderbilt. I thought he was the best pitcher in the draft when they took him. And I thought at worst, at worst, you'd get a reliever out of him. Um, like, like uh, maybe if, you know, and, and, and he's wired that way. So like maybe, you know, pitching more often, but like if for whatever reason he could, he couldn't start that, that he'd at least be a reliever and, and, you know, high likelihood of a closer and it just never happened. Now, now that said, not, I'm not, I'm not defending myself here because I was wrong and he didn't throw strikes. I, I do not think the White Sox handled him well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, even like coming out of the draft, his first full year in the minors, um, you know, they had him there. They tried to like, they, they sent him to double a, you know, he was an advanced guy. He had pitched at Winston Salem, pitched well in some short starts the year before they sent him to double a, tried to make mechanical changes, you know, in a double a, you know, your first year out of, in pro ball, first full year is a lot, you know, and, and, and it drives me nuts. Not, not the white side, like the other teams just too. You took the guy eighth overall in the draft because you liked what he did. If you start changing things, you might change what kind of pitcher he is or how good the pitches are. And he struggled at Birmingham. And I remember talking to him at the, I think he was at the futures game that year. I remember talking to him and he'd gone back to doing what he did to Vanderbilt and he started having more success, but then they called him up and he'd been starting his whole, you know, like all season. Hey, here, now you're in the big leagues and in the bullpen. And they kind of bounced him around, you know, like, and after that, it was like, okay, back to the minors to be a starter. Now you're up. You, you, you start and relieved a little bit in the big leagues. And, and then in 18, he did both. And I just, I, I think trying to change him right off the bat wasn't a great move. And again, I mean, he needed to throw more strikes. Like I'm not saying this is an electric factor, but I think bouncing him back and forth from roll to roll up and down triple a big league starter reliever did not help him at all. So I, I still in the back of my mind think my mind think there might be something there, but like the, the stuff isn't as sharp as it was when they drafted him and he's still not throwing strikes. So probably not, but I, I guess in recent years it, it would be Carson Fulmer for me. Cause I, I thought he was going to be really good. I think he might've been on four different teams last season uh, because yeah, mm-hmm. he was um, all out of options. So he just kept on being claimed off waivers over and over again. And I do remember at a point sometime uh, last year, 
that uh, the Lockdown Orioles podcast asked me to come on to kind of talk a little bit about Carson Fulmer. And uh, when it came to that, I always try to be like a little optimistic, especially if I'm going on you know, like someone else's podcast and they want to know, hey, uh, this this uh, really hot prospect at one time uh, is now playing for our team. Can you tell us a little bit about him? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> I mean, he's a good pickup for a team like the Orioles who have nothing to lose. But like right. his stuff just he's lost a little velocity The slider isn't as sharp as it was in, in college. He's, he's kind of lost himself, but like, I mean, that would definitely be a type of guy. If I had a, a bad team, I mean, cause to be honest though, <laughs> the Orioles are a bad team. I, I would take flyers on guys like that. And, and, you know, if he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. And, you know, I just, you know, again, the, the, the stuff, I think he's on the pirates now too. In fact, um, I, I'm looking here at transactions. So I, I guess, I guess the Orioles have moved on and, uh, I guess, yeah. So I guess you're right. He, he, st- he was on the white Sox, got waived. Tigers claimed him, got waived. Pirates claimed him. Don't think he ever played for the pirates. Well, I guess he did play for the pirates briefly last year, got waived Orioles claimed him. And then the Pirates claimed him on waivers again toward the end of the year. So um, the, the Pirates also have a dreadful team. So it's, it's worth a flyer. But, yeah, it's um, – I, I thought he was going to be really, really good. Yeah, and, I mean, I know I know that uh, we're certainly not rooting against him to find that at some point. And, and it's interesting, you even saw, you talk about his early development and how it was sort of handled by the White Sox, plus everything since being, you know, on the White Sox and being – you know, all over the place, different organizations, all that kind of stuff. And, and it's those, and I, and I've heard you talk about this before with him. I've heard a lot of people say that, that his mindset, his mentality, it seems like if anyone, uh, not to sound too, you know, I guess cliche here, but if anyone can kind of overcome the things that he's gone through, as far as getting thrown around and up and down all that, it would probably be uh, someone like him that, that has that mindset. Yeah. I mean, I haven't talked to him recently when I, when I did earlier in his career and at Vanderbilt, I mean, he was, he was really mentally tough and like a tough competitor. And he had that, you know, what you call closer makeup. Um, like, so now you're now, now I'm talking myself back into Carson Fulmer a little bit now too. Like, 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 I mean, shoot, if I'm the pirates, what do I have to lose by giving him innings this year and seeing what can happen? Um, and just telling him, look, you're on the team all year. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if they actually, I'd be like, basically don't worry about your role. We want to see what you have long-term just go out there and pitch and attack guys. I mean, it, you know, he, he's got, you know, his stuff is, is tailed off some too though. So that, that worries me, but um, we, we should probably move on. Cause I can, I can, I can wax poetic about Carson <laughs> for a while. Um, so I, I've actually, last question I really have for you is, is not baseball related at all. Um, and, and again, it, it, I, I know we've talked already about Wikipedia and some of the fallbacks of, of some of these, this information. So if this is not true, then, you know, it is what it is. We'll move on. But, uh, you did attend the university of Georgia. That, that part is correct. Yes. Okay. And, uh, was that around the sort of mid eighties ish? It, it, it was right it was after like- Herschel Walker. So I, I wasn't there for the Herschel okay. Walker years, but yeah, I, I went there from 85 to 88. So I have to ask you, um, not even sports related at all, but, um, I, I went to University of Illinois, but I was always uh, I always really wanted to go to uh, U- University of Georgia. And it is um, crazy tough to get in now. It is unbelievable. Really? I, my daughter, I, my daughter got it, applied early one year, my youngest daughter, and didn't get in early, but got in late. But she was a little ticked off. And so she actually went to Illinois. For okay. but didn't like it, so she decided to take a gap year. She did not the University of Washington because she didn't get into Georgia the second time. But it's crazy, like the academic standards. I, I interrupt your question. Sorry, Sam. no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. But no, no, I was I so much I, different now. Three yeah. three decades later, anyway. No, I I I went. I could not have gotten in there out of uh, even. Yeah, I was not a good, uh, not a very good high school student. Uh, I went to Illinois State and then transferred after my freshman year to Illinois. But that's that's for another podcast. Um, but my but my my question. It's not really a question. It's sort of a question. But the reason I was I always wanted to be in Athens was, uh, and I mostly wanted to be in Athens pretty much before I at a time before I was born when you were in Athens because yeah, of the music scene. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's when you talk about music, when you talk about college, specifically college, uh, you know, college music scenes, I don't know if it gets any better than Athens in the early to, to mid eighties. So I have to know, were you, were you, are you, are you a music fan? Uh, did you partake in, in the music scene down there when you were there? You know, I am a music fan. I I was kind of on the tail end of that. Like Athens had kind of exploded. I think started exploding early. Like I was at the point where, you know, REM wasn't playing like at local clubs anymore. Like they had 
they'd made it big, but like, yeah. and I can't remember everybody I saw, like, I, like I actually regret in retrospect that I didn't do more because I, I worked for the school paper and some of my best friends did the music stuff for the school paper. And they were always like, Hey, you know, do this, do that. And nah, I was off doing whatever. So like I, I, I did some, like, I, I want to say, I think I saw widespread panic. I want to say like, I might've seen Adam ant or Iggy mm. pop. I can't remember which one, but like I, I did some, but not nearly as much. If, if, if 53 year old me could go back and tell 18 year old me, <laughs> I'd say go out and see more of these, these groups that are going to make it big, you know, and the, t- I mean, back then, I mean, the tickets were probably, it was probably like, you know, at most like $5 cover charge to go see some of these bands. But uh, yeah, it was, that, that was still going on. Cause I, I think in the nineties, it kind of shifted to Seattle, you know, Nirvana and grunge sure. and, and that, but yeah, it was, it, I, so I did, but I did not partake of that stuff, Sam, as much as I should have in retrospect, especially looking back because some of my best friends, I could have just said, Ray, Jim, who should we go? Who, who should I see? Who should I not miss? And I didn't do that as often as I should. How about uh, this may have been uh, probably maybe a little bit earlier, but the DBs ever catch them? I did not catch them. I remember the name. I and mean, the B-52s also came out of Athens. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's great. Like if you'd been there, like I guess the best time to be in Athens would have been the, the real early 80s when you had Herschel Walker, you know, and George football team, never better. Herschel, arguably the best college player of all time. And you had like, you probably catch REM, you know, at a local club for like three bucks on a Friday night. Um, crazy. So I was, I, I was, I was right after the, the peak music and the peak football. Although I did get the peak baseball because the first year I covered the baseball team, we went to the college world series for the first time and had two first round picks and then I graduated in December 88 and went to work for Baseball America. In 1990, Georgia won the national championship. And I'd gone to school with like half to two-thirds of the team. So I was pretty crazy covering that team for Baseball America. And I knew a bunch, I'd, you know, I had classes with a bunch of those guys. So it was kind of crazy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I still, I still remember back then, the CBS televised the championship game. And it was on a Saturday afternoon. It was like a winner take all game. They did not like the three game series they have now. And you would have to go on the field to interview players when the game ended because CBS would do interviews and they had the rights to whoever they wanted, but you could grab whoever. So you'd sit behind home plate and then you'd go on the field after the final out. I remember going on the field and I was on the field for like 10 seconds. Somebody came up, and just give me a big bear hug. And it was coach Steve Weber's wife, Pam. Like I was the first person she saw that she knew, I guess she came out too. And, uh, she's, she was all excited. I'm just thinking, I hope nobody from baseball America sees coach's wife hugging me like in the background TV, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty cool to, to see all those guys like who I knew really well win national championship. So I, I guess my timing was right. Absolutely. Especially it, it seemed to, uh, you know, it fit right alongside your career. I was just thinking if, if it had been a little bit earlier, you have been a few years before, you know, you could be uh, uh, working for uh, Rolling Stone right now. You know, it could be a different. <laughs> just exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, I mean, we had in the in the old red and black offices on Jackson Street. We had the, the way they were set up. It wasn't like we had a ton of office space, but we're in one room. You had the sports guys on one side and the I don't know what you call I don't know if it's called entertainment, but like the music and the movie guys, you know, those guys were right in the same room with us. So like. Like now it's like I, I'm wistful because I could have seen so many great. My, my second oldest son has his own band. He's big into music and he would have, he would have loved that scene. Uh, you know, if I could transport him back in time. Well, I've got, I've still unfortunately never been to Athens, uh, but I, I will make it down there. I have a great uncle who lives not far from there. So oh, nice. at some point I will check it out. <laughs> there you go. Well, maybe in the future, time travel technology will be uh, a little more advanced than where it is right now. I don't think there's any time travel technology, actually. That's not that we know, know of. Yeah. <laughs> I do have the, the Back to the Future poster right there. There though. you go. You know, yeah. I, I do. I do have a Doctor Who poster just like just barely within uh, visibility of, of my camera <laughs> here. So, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll throw you in a TARDIS someday, Sam. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I I do have one uh, last question, uh, jumping back into uh, uh, White Sox prospects for a brief moment. 
So uh, who, in your opinion, is a White Sox uh, prospect that no one is really talking about right now? Uh, so basically uh, a sleeper uh, that you could see uh, surprising a lot of folks in the future. Um, I think the guy for me who would kind of fit that bill, and it's just because nobody's really had a chance to see him. I mean, everybody's got him uh, on their White Sox prospect list kind of in the middle, but I, I don't know that the the kind of – casual White Sox fan is, is really like my, my dogs keep going crazy here. Sorry. Is going nuts about this guy. But like the guy who's, I think really intrigued to me is Benjamin Bailey. Um, he, he was a guy they signed um, in, in, in the late in the 2018 international class. They actually didn't, you, you could sign guys in July. He didn't sign till April. Um, you know, shortly before that, that signing period closed $35,000 out of Panama tore up the Dominican summer league in, in his pro debut. But, Dominican summer league stats are maybe only slightly more useful than high school stats. I wouldn't wear too much of stats, but he's, you know, he's six foot four, two fifteen. Um, you know, for a guy that big, he's got a relatively compact swing, good approach at the plate. He's patient. You know, right now he's content to, you know, line drives gap to gap, which, which I love to see. Cause you know, this guy's going to have natural power. He's six four, two fifteen. He's got strength. You know, I, I'd rather him, you know, hit line drives gap to gap and take pitches and you know, that are out of the strike zone rather than trying to swing at everything and pull everything. And cause those guys usually don't hit. Um, so I, I think the offensive upside on him is, is pretty, um, pretty promising. I um, mean, you know, he seems very mature at, at the plate for somebody who is only still only 19 years old. Um, average runner right now, you know, maybe he slows down a tick as he gets a little bit stronger. Um, you know, he's, he's probably more of a left fielder. He's, he's played all three. The arm's just okay. But um, I, I think because he's just starting his career and has yet to play in the U.S., you know, rightfully so, like nobody really talks about him much. Um, but I do think he's one of the – guys who two years from now, like we might look at and say, Oh, Benjamin Bailey's like, you know, one of the white Sox, you know, three or five best prospects. So like he, yeah. there's a lot of upside with him. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It will, we'll have to uh, sort of circle back. I remember that the thing with, with him that I just remembered was, and you brought up his size, that was, it's, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, if you can kind of put that together, obviously uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that turns in anything. Um, well, Jim, thank you so much uh, again for coming on. We, we can't thank you enough. It was a pleasure talking to you. This is um, fun. Hopefully, uh, maybe if the Sox end up making a deep run in, in the playoffs and, you know, Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet are right at the helm of that, uh, we'll have to have you back on to kind of do a, 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 re, a review or a recap of how the season went. <laughs> yeah, no, we could do that. And Carson Fulmer has, has been a successful <laughs> season as the Pirates closer. Um, we can, we can, you know, that'll be fine if the White Sox do well, but yeah, no, that'll be great. It's uh, this has been fun. Cool. Thank awesome. you, Jim. Thank Again, you guys. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, it was fun. Thanks. Cool. That being said, uh, this has been yet another episode of North side socks. Follow the podcast at North side socks pod. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter if you'd like. Uh, my Twitter name is, I, I have to think about this. Dang. All right. It's uh, Scuriosa, S-C-U-R-I-I-O-S-A. Um, I always have to spell it out because when I say it, it just like, I don't know, just visually never appears to me. Uh, Jim, uh, what is your social media so people can follow you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm just on Twitter. I've, I've avoided Facebook and have never wow. regretted that decision. Um, <laughs> but I'm on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB, just J-I-M-C-A-L-L-I-S-M-L-B. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much, Jim. And uh, as for everyone else, have a fabulous rest of your Saturday or whatever day you are choosing to listen to this podcast. We appreciate you too.